Um, If y'all would, open your Bibles to the epistle of James. As you're turning there, I'll just go ahead and point out, uh, we we have a book table over here in which we, uh, we sell... Um, just some really good books. And one of the things we just put out there was some new commentaries on James. Um, we're beginning a series on James. And uh, the commentary is, um, it's a good, just not overly technical at all, layperson's commentary, but it's pretty solid if you want to pick that up. And uh, just kind of do to supplement what we'll be learning on Sunday nights, um, please feel free to. Um, James, I'll begin reading verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Pray with me. God, I pray that you would bring clarity to this text. But also at the same time, you would bring so much more than understanding. Lord, that as we hear you speak to us, that you would begin transforming our hearts during this time. Lord, that you would begin speaking life into areas that were dead. So God, speak. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain. May they change us. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I need to confess something. And I realize that I say that a lot at the start of messages, that I need to confess something. But um, here's my confession. I don't really like James. All right, I'm just going to go, I know I'm, I'm about to teach a series on it, and I'm just going to go and put it out there. I don't really like it. It's not one of my favorite books. Um, I'm not alone in feeling this way. Martin Luther called the epistle of James an epistle of straw. Um, we thought about actually using that as our little sermon series logo instead of James the tr- Just, you know, epistle of straw. Um, but we went against it. Uh, Luther, he thought it was an epistle of straw because he didn't consider it as having the same amount of weight as the other New Testament books. He didn't say it didn't belong with Scripture. He didn't say, you know, you should rip it out of your Bible. He just said, you know, it wasn't the same weight as Paul. Um, So he still accepted as God's word. He quoted from it a whole lot. But when he came out with his German translation of the New Testament, he put James at the very end after Revelation. Um, He wanted you to read all the other books first. And the reason he felt this way is because James talks a lot about works, a lot about doing things, but not so much about grace. Um, A matter of fact, 
there are 54 imperatives in this small letter. 54 times James is going to tell us to do something. Do it. Only twice does he mention Jesus in the entire letter. All right, you, you compare that to Paul, in which Paul can't hardly go a sentence without just gushing over the Lord Jesus Christ and how he's been saved by grace. But, but James doesn't do that. And so, why are we going to study James? Um, number one reason we're going to study James is it's in the Bible, okay? It's God's Word, and I believe that. I believe he has an important message for us. You know, and even Martin Luther recognized that. And even though Jesus is not mentioned over and over in this letter, he is the obvious theme. He's the obvious foundation for this letter, and we're going to see that as we go through it. James is also the oldest book that we have in the New Testament. Um, it was written less than 20 years after the resurrection. I mean, so this is easily within the living memory. This is of, of Jesus and his resurrection. This is written to people who had likely seen the Lord Jesus. And so when we read James, we're going to see one of the earliest pictures we have of Christianity. We're going to find out some of the earliest struggles that they had. And what we find here is not, not a people who were struggling so much with doctrine. Not really struggling with who Jesus was or who Jesus is because these people saw Jesus preach. A lot of these people probably saw the resurrected Jesus or at least knew other people who had seen the resurrected Jesus. So they weren't struggling with the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Their struggle was putting their faith into practice. Their struggle was not doctrine but, but the implications of their doctrine. And that's why James wrote this letter. And James was uniquely qualified to write about the works of Jesus because James was the half-brother of Jesus. Um, James grew up with Jesus. And I was just thinking about that a lot this week. I, it would have been borderline amazing and horrible uh, to, to grow up with Jesus as your older brother. I've got an older brother. And I am always being compared to him. Always. He's four and a half years older. Can, can you imagine James just always being compared? You know, why, why can't you be more kind like Jesus? You know, why, why can't you share like Jesus? Why can't, you know, you obey me the first time like Jesus? You know, and, and so he's, he's always growing up in Jesus' shadow. And I'm sure he loved Jesus. You know, he was his brother. But at the same time, he probably had a resentment towards him. And we know from the Gospels that James did not believe Jesus to be the Messiah. Jesus, or James did not believe Jesus to be the Son of God until after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, he went around and he thought his brother, half-brother was crazy. And then he sees him risen from the dead and kind of things changed. I mean, and when I say he, he changed, I mean, he was transformed. He instantly becomes one of the leaders in the church when you go to Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem, all of the apostles actually defer to his leadership at this time. He becomes an absolute rock in the church. Now, I believe it was through growing up with Jesus 
that James can give us such a unique perspective into Jesus' life and into Jesus' works. And one of the reasons I think James writes so much about the works of Jesus is because he saw so close, up close and personal, the works of Jesus from the earliest age. For instance, James writes, it's kind of a famous passage, he writes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We have to remember that at some point his mom Mary lost her husband Joseph, and so Mary became a widow. A widow that Jesus, as the oldest son, would have had to take care of. He would have had to provide for financially, provide for emotionally. And James would have watched that tremendous devotion that Jesus had towards his widowed mom. And, and so then later he writes, this is pure and undefiled religion that you take care of widows. He saw it. When James talks throughout his letter about giving special care to the poor, being slow to anger, um, not quarreling, being careful with what you say, being a doer of the word, not merely a hearer of the word, not being selfish, not having any ambition. He's writing about all those things because he saw it so close and personal. James even gives us a somewhat unique view of sin in his letter. In chapter 4, he says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so he's, he's not just defining sin as not doing bad things. He says, no, not being a sinner and is not always doing the right thing. And he can say that because he saw Jesus at all times always doing the right thing, not just withstanding or withholding from bad things. And so James gives us these unique perspectives on works that I think came a lot from his relationship to his half-brother. So it's one of the reasons we're going to study this. That's my, my introduction to the book of James. We're going, to, we're going to talk more as a whole over the grand theme, but let's go ahead and just jump right in. Let's read again verse 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I mean, what a way to begin your letter. Um, count it all joy when you experience various trials, when you meet these trials so right off the bat, James says, you're going to meet trials. And by trials, he, he means any kind of hardship, any kind of suffering. Going through cancer is a tr trial. Losing someone to death, you know, that someone close to you, that's a trial. Maybe losing your job, going through financial difficulties, that's a trial. And notice James does not say, if you meet various trials. But he says, when? He says, this will happen to you, okay? It's going to happen to every Christian. 
Every one of us who follow Jesus will experience some form of hardship. And James says when that happens, you've got to count it joy. Now, when you first read this, you could kind of jump, I think, to the wrong conclusion. James is not saying that we really need to enjoy suffering. I mean, he's not saying, hey, you know, be really happy if, if your child dies. You're, you're supposed to be happy at the funeral. I've, I've met Christians like that, you know, who always have that grin on them. I, I call them Muppet Christians. Um, because no matter what's happening, they have that same silly grin on all the time. It, 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 they could be going through the worst circumstance, and you ask them how they're doing, they're like, I could not be happier. I'm like, you're, you're not in touch with reality is what's really going on. James is saying that when bad things happen, you weep, you feel hurt, there should be real sorrow You experience those things, but you are to count it or you are to consider it joy. And the reason that you consider that that present suffering joy is because not what you're experiencing now, but you're looking to the future and you know what this is going to work in your life. And so you can count it joy. Verse 3 says... For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Um, This word testing is the word that's used to describe when you melt metal. uh, You purify it through heat in order to make it stronger. Scrap metal doesn't get tested. Um, But if you were to build a car um, that's going to carry precious cargo over difficult terrain... You're going to need to test the metal in order to make it stronger. And so what James is implying here is that as Christians, you were created to do so much more than just survive. Okay? God has created you for a grand purpose. He's created you to do something important, to carry weight, to carry precious cargo, to do something for the kingdom here. And in order to do that, you're going to have to be tested. You're going to have to be strengthened for the task that he's giving you. My father died. Um, He died suddenly at the age of 54. And it completely um, rocked our family. It's kind of hard to describe. It was just like there was this huge vacuum. In our family, we, we didn't really, something huge was just missing at this point. And I got to experience all of the, the pain, the uh, deep sorrow that death leaves in its wake when my dad died. And I can remember about a year after um, this happened, I'm going to pray with my pastor Um, A group of us would go to his house every Thursday morning and we would pray. And we were praying and I prayed for a girl who recently lost her father. And so I'm praying and I remember I began to hurt, like to emotionally hurt. And, And as I was praying, then I began to cry, I began to weep. 
And then it just became this uncontrollable sobs as I am praying for this, for this girl who I, I didn't really even know that well. But I had never had such empathy for someone. I, I never prayed like this in my life. And all of that happened because a year earlier I had gone through something like that. You know, you know before my dad's death, I never prayed like that. I would still pray. I'd pray, God, be with this girl. Comfort her. Hold her in your arms. Give her peace. I'd pray that. And I would mean it. I really would mean it. And I'd pray that out of faith. But nothing like I was unable to pray at this point. Really hurting with her. That empathy there. My heart now breaks when I see widows because I saw my mom go through what she went through. Before that happened, I got to confess, I never thought about widows. Ever. And then you see somebody up close and personal going through something so horrific And it opens your eyes. And all of a sudden you become compassionate. All of a sudden you you really do. You want to serve and you want to pray for people like this. So there was a lot more depth and a lot more meaning in my prayers after this. And that's what going through trials do. They they strengthen you. They, They change you for the task that the Lord has ahead for you. When you go through a trial, know it's because God has created you to be a better person. God's created you to make a difference in this world. Now look at verse 4. It says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This word steadfast, I, um, I really like it. In, in Greek, it, it means hyper-standing. Or super standing. That's, that's steadfast. You are super standing. This is not a weak, passive kind of submission to circumstances as they come. You know, well, whatever happens, I'm just going to let it happen. That's not at all what it's talking about. This is, this is standing firm. It's being strong. This is a challenging response to when a trial comes your way. Hyper stand. And when you face these trials, he says you will become perfect and complete Some of your translations might say that you will become mature. That's right. It means you're going to grow up. It means you're going to be ready for every work. Some of your translations might say that too, that going through this is going to make you ready for every work. So let me give you the Joel Brooks modern day translation of this. Um, The trials you go through and the pain you experience give you a resolve And they make you grow up so that you have the tools you need to get some real work done and make a difference in this world. That's the thought here. Let me repeat that. The trials that you go through and the pain that you experience, they give you a resolve. They make you grow up so that you have the tools you need to get some real work done and make a difference in this world. 
And you could see that so obviously in, um, in the life of Joseph. Years back, we went through um, the life, uh, or we went through Genesis, and we studied Joseph. And when you first meet Joseph, he was arrogant. He was a borderline sociopath. Uh, because he was completely indifferent to the feelings of others. And so God, out of love for him, brought him down, brought suffering into his life. It wasn't because God, you know, hated him. It's because God loved him, because God wanted to use him for a noble purpose. God brought suffering in again and again and again until God would use him after God had changed him. That's what James is talking about. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. This is one of the most well-known verses in the book of James. It's probably also one of the uh, most quoted out of context because we usually quote this for like wisdom in general. God, give me wisdom, because you say I've asked for wisdom, you'll give it to me. But James here is talking about a very specific wisdom. Um, He's talking about a wisdom as it relates to suffering. You see, when you go through a time of suffering, it's going to hit you, it's going to rock your world. You're going to start asking questions like, God, why are you you doing this to me? What are you trying trying to do? How am I going to get through this? And in order to navigate through these waters, you're going to need wisdom. When you're going through a time of trial, everybody's going to give you advice. Everybody's going to tell you what you have to do. How do you know what's the right advice? You need wisdom. And that's what James is talking about here. And James says that we are not just to ask for wisdom, but we're to ask in total faith and with no doubting. Um, I hate doing this, but I hate, like, keep giving uh, little word studies. This is going to be my last one, okay? My last little word study for you. But if you want to understand what James means here, you have to understand what he means by the word doubt, because it's not the normal word doubt. Um, He's not talking about what we would call an intellectual doubt. He's not saying that, you know, when he says you got to ask this thing without doubting, he's not saying you got to give yourself a pep talk saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, you know, and do this. Um, I've been a part of prayer times in which that's really what they've been. They're pep talks. They're like, God, I believe you could do this because I believe it. I believe it because it's the truth and it's the truth. And I'm believing it now. I mean, they're like going on and on. I'm like, all right, we get the point. You believe this. It's the truth. And it's what it is. It's a, you know, just a spiritual pep talk to try to talk themselves into believing this. That's not what James is talking about here. The word is not so much an intellectual disbelief. He's talking about conflicting loyalties. The word is used to describe elsewhere in the Bible. It's used to to describe disputes 
or making a judgment when one has to take a side. So when Jesus said, you, you cannot serve both God and mammon, he's saying you've got to decide. You can't do both. You either love God, you either love mammon. Choose. That's the word here. And so this is what James means when he says we're not to doubt. It's, it's not that we're supposed to have this perfect intellectual belief, but that we have clearly chosen in the midst of a trial where we're going to stand in the midst of this trial. We've decided and we're not going to waver. So in our moment of suffering, we're going to choose, Lord, we're going to lean on you, not on anything else. And that's, that's what he's talking about. That our identity is not going to be found in this circumstance. My identity is going to rest firmly on you, Jesus. Because if your identity is not in Christ and is on something else, you're going to be what he describes next. Tossed about by the waves with every circumstance. You're going to be really up one moment, really down the next. Up and then down. So if your identity is on how you're doing in your marriage, your identity is how you're doing with your spouse, well, when you're all lovey-dovey, you know, everything's just wonderful, man, you're, you're going to be up here. And then you get in an argument, and all of a sudden you're just crashing down. If your identity's in your work, and you're really performing well, you're being productive, your boss is praying you, praising you, and so you're thinking, yes, things are going well. God is really for me. God is really blessing me. And you're up. And then all of a sudden, work's not going well, and your boss criticizes you. Then all of a sudden, you come crashing down. You know, for some of you, it's, it's if you're currently in a relationship, if you're currently dating. Yes, things are great. God loves me. And then all of a sudden, you're not dating anybody. You're sitting home on a Friday night, and you're like, life is miserable. Or parenting. If your children are really good, life's great. If they're bad, it's horrific. And James is saying, no, no, no. Choose. Choose. Are you going to... Are you going to build your identity on a circumstance or are you going to build it on Jesus? But choose. Build it on the solid rock of Christ. Let me just say this. I'm going to be really honest. This is going to hit a number of you. I know a number of you that are being tossed about by the waves. I know, I've sat down and I've talked with you. And you're up and you're down. And you're up and you're down. You have understanding. It means you know the gospel. You have an understanding of the gospel, but you lack wisdom. Because wisdom is the ability to apply understanding to your life. Wisdom is the ability to apply the gospel that you understand to your life every day every moment. I've had conversations with, with people who have said, gosh, my life is crazy right now. It's just work. It's just an incredible stress. My family life is terrible. Our finances are horrible. We hardly have any time to do things. And, and so that's why you haven't seen me there on Sundays. 
That's why I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not there at church. Everything's just going crazy. I will have that exact same conversation with somebody else who would say, my life is crazy right now. Work is horrible. Marriage is just, gosh, it's just so hard right now. Our finances are crazy. That's why I'm there every Sunday. Every Sunday. I can't miss it because I need the gospel. And I need to hear it over and over and over again. What you see there, right, is, is the definition of doubt. Same circumstances hitting hitting. Two different people, and one is like, my allegiance and loyalty is here. And I will be tossed about by waves. Another person is saying, my allegiance and my loyalty is here. No, I need the gospel, and I'm going to rest my identity on Christ. Both of those people have understanding, but only one of them had wisdom. Let me just say, you could see early on where James's loyalties lie and what he's resting his identity on. I don't know if you got it when he started the letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Now, if that had been me, I'd probably just kind of, you know, put it out there a little bit. James. No big deal, but brother of Jesus. <laughs> you know, without, you know, with, with Joseph gone and there's, you know, Jesus is now ascended. Um, if you see Jesus as a king and he has no children and he has no wife. Well, the next person is James to carry the torch. James to be the man. That's, that's how kingdoms work. James could have easily just used that as his identity. I'm on the inside here because, you know, we're we're blood. But he doesn't. You see where his identity is? He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord, Jesus, the Messiah. He says, I relate to Jesus just like all of you relate to Jesus. Like all of us should relate to Jesus. He's my Lord. He's the one who I'm going to build my life on. I'm not going to build it on some kind of like blood relationship, not like that, the inside track. No, I'm building it on His Lordship. I'm going to build it on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let me ask a question. Is this whom you're building your life on? Just even as you look back at this past month, has it been up? Has it been down? Has it been up? Has it been down? Lauren and I were this way at the start of the church, you know, three, four years ago. I can remember when we were trying to see who would come, you know, who wouldn't come, and uh, somebody would come one week and they would leave, and we're like, we'd crash down. What are we doing? Why are we here? You know, why are we doing this? Well, it wasn't to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously. Our identity was built on getting people being affirmed by people. It wasn't being built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And we had to make this conscious decision, you know, no matter what happens with the church, no matter who comes, who doesn't come, our loyalty is here. And this is where we'll build our identity. Let me tell you, this is an ongoing conversation with us in every area of our life. 
So are you being tossed about by the waves? Or have you landed on the solid rock of Jesus? Pray with me. Lord, we are more loved than we can ever imagine, more accepted by you than we could ever imagine. We're also more sinful and flawed than we could ever imagine. We thank you for the cross that washes us of our sins and draws us to you. Our hope, our righteousness is built on that. Our identity is built on that. No matter what comes our way, may our loyalties rest with you, Lord. So God, we pray for wisdom, for the trials that are ahead. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.